Where did you get those lovely things? These aren't lovely. They aren't? No, we're just imagining it. Yeah, we even imagined there's a whole run on Santa Clauses. I am the only true Santa Claus. Oh, yeah? Well, who's that? Oh. Santa, Santa Claus. Claus. <laughs> Somebody call me. Are you sure you're the one and only Santa? Of course. These two are imposters. I shall have them removed. <laughs> who he is, who are you? Who do I look like? You look like me. Who are you? <laughs> like you? Who are you? <laughs> Santa Claus? <laughs> well, uh, ho, ho, ho. Here I am. Bruised, praised, and fricasseed, but still on the job. <laughs> Back to Who and Company. I'm Brent, and I'm Drew. We said we'd be back for another episode in March, and here we are. This month, our guest is writer and podcaster Ty Gooden. We talk about her writing, revisiting the past on the Nostalgia Mixtape podcast, and the importance of family on burgeoning fandom. Then Ty brings along her pick of the month, the mid-sixties haunted sitcom The Adams Family. We discuss our earliest memories of the show, and wait, I've forgotten my lines. Thank you, Thing. <clears throat> and how it would hold up if it were released today. So get a witch's shawl on, a broomstick you can crawl on. We're going to pay a call on... Well, it's coming up right after this. Gomez is a weak, sniveling coward. That's right. Or wouldn't you rather be a strong, masterful He-Man? Too dangerous. It doesn't have to be. Not if you go about it right. Why don't we try it? Uncle Fester, you be Ophelia. You're kind, sensitive, quiet, and understanding. She certainly has changed. <laughs> and you're the new Gomez. You're decisive, direct, and definite. I'm afraid. That's pretty definite. Thank you. <laughs> Our guest for March 2019 is a freelance writer, author, blogger, poet, and Doctor Who fanatic. You've read her works on Bustle.com, Sci-Fi.com, and Hypable.com, among others. She's one half of the Nostalgia Mixtape podcast, and I recently got a chance to catch back up with her at Gallifrey One. And now she's here to talk with us. Ty Gooden, welcome to Who and Company. Yay! I'm so excited to be here. Thank you guys for having me on. Yeah, We're really thrilled to have you here. We, I, I know we tried a little while back to, to get you on, and things didn't work out, so it's it's great that you're here to be our March guest. Awesome. Uh before we, uh, well, I'm pretty excited about um, the show we're going to talk about, but uh, I want to talk a little bit about your podcast first. Um, okay. Obviously, podcasting near and dear to uh, our hearts. Um, so let's talk about nostalgia. 
because your podcast covers pop culture from the 80s to the early 2000s. So the question that we have for you is, why is nostalgia such a force to be reckoned with, especially for fan culture? Well, you know, I think nostalgia is kind of what we all need right now with everything that you're dealing with. And being an adult, you kind of can go back to a time when things felt simpler. Um, when fandom and fanning felt simpler too, because I think it's kind of grown so exponentially in the past few years. And now you have these, you know, really, really large conventions and, you know, you have all these uh, online forums and all these different types of ways to fan. But, you know, when we were kids and and definitely speaking for myself as a, I'm a millennial, so I was born late eighties. So when I was a kid, I mean, the way that we fanned was in your small circle of people that you knew hanging out at someone's house, you know, talking about different shows you were watching, cartoons, comics, whatever. Um, and really, nostalgia just takes you back to that time when things were simpler, when when fanning was simpler and everything, and it feels good, you know, because you got that rose-colored tint of what your life was like back then before politics and all of these other things kind of came into play. So mm-hmm. I think that's why people latch on to nostalgia so much, because it's just, it reminds you of a better time. When did you first make that move from fan to fandom? So what was the first thing that you remember really latching onto as a kid that that uh, you say we had with your circle between friends? What was that kind of first thing that you and a group really kind of geeked out about? For us, I think it was Power Rangers. Mm. Like we were massive, massive Power Rangers fans. Like we would you know, get together at school and like talk about what happened on different episodes and everybody had the Rangers that they wanted to be. And, you know, you wanted to dress like them for Halloween. And we were so obsessed with Power Rangers. So for me, that's like really my first real fandom that I got into like that, because that was what we did. And for, and also outside of just like pop culture and everything too, I think being a music fan, and just having a love and appreciation for music. My um, father is actually a gospel musician, um, plays bass guitar, and he's been singing and stuff since he was a child. But we have the shared love of music, so he would have like some vinyl records and stuff. And he listened to you know all all the greats, you know your Prince, your Stevie Wonder, and everything like that. And so I developed that deep love and appreciation for music as well. So those were kind of like my first two fandoms, um, and then I kind of branched out from there. My mother's mom, my maternal grandmother, she uh, is a big Star Trek fan and she's a wrestling fan. And so I would spend a lot of time over at her house and got into Star Trek and and wrestling. So it was just kind of all around me. And it's funny because my mom is so not into any of this stuff. She doesn't care about any of it. (laughs) But I mean, my dad and my grandmother or whatever, they really introduced me to like that nuclear level of what it meant to be a fan and what it meant to, to love and to have this just deep appreciation for something and to like analyze and think about things. Um, Especially with my grandmother, we would watch uh, next generation together and she would, we would talk about the episodes afterwards, almost like you're doing like a interview or like a podcast style format. She'd be like, what do you think about this? What do you think about that character? And we had those conversations. So that was how I started to really fan. And that's long before conventions. And I got into all that stuff a bit later into life. That's cool. Um, because I know that when we get with their friends, you go over to a friend's house to watch television or, mm-hmm. or go to the movies. Uh, you know, when the Power Ranger movie came out. I'm, I'm sure you probably went with a group. Uh, I just want to briefly talk about your relationship with your father. Did the two of you ever go to a concert together with someone that you, you both liked? 
Yeah, we've done some jazz concerts together. Um, we've actually did a concert together last year. We went to a spring fest and they had a bunch of like uh, 80s and 90s R&B acts, groups, and then like individual people too. So we, we've done a lot of that stuff together um, and also a lot of gospel things because uh, mm -hmm. I remember going with him, him and his brothers actually have a group together and they travel throughout uh, North Carolina, Virginia, and sometimes they go down to South Carolina too. They live in North Carolina. And so I remember going with them and going to gospel concerts and, you know, just being immersed in the experience and seeing how music moved people and how it affected different people in the audience. That was something that I picked up on, even as a kid, about how powerful it could be, um, the words and, and just everything about it or whatever is just amazing. So yeah, we've done, we've done quite a few, quite a few fun concerts together. I think probably the most fun we did is when we saw uh, Frankie Beverly and Maze. Oh yeah. yeah. Amazing. Yes. They were so much fun. I mean, just to be there and like have that experience with my dad. And um he's also a big Lord of the Rings fan too. So like for his birthday last year, I bought him the Lord of the Rings DVD set. And he was super geeked about it or, or whatever. So. <laughs> did you ever get to see Prince? I did not. And I so regret that. He actually came to Greensboro a while back and I was poor. So couldn't afford to get the tickets and everything. And I was like, you know what? Next time I, he comes anywhere near me, I'm going to catch him. And it never happened. Yeah. And I was super bummed. Brent, how about you? Did you, uh, is there something that you and your parents geeked out with, like had a fandom together with? I guess kind of. Uh, I watched a lot of TV, mostly with my dad when I was a kid. And, and um, Star Trek was one of the first things also because, mm -hmm. well, like he took me when I was five years old and I still remember this, you know, because one of my earliest memories, my dad took me to see the original Star Wars in 77 and um, <clears throat> showing my age there. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and we have gone to every single Star Wars movie together. Oh, uh, so that's what, nine or 10 movies. Uh, and so we've been to all of them together so far. And, uh, but Star Trek, like the original with Kirk and Spock, um, used to come on every day in syndication, like five o'clock. And um, it's around the time he got home from work, so we'd watch it almost every day. So that that was probably the first one. That's really cool. That is cool. I love that you went and saw the movies together. Like that's mm -hmm. a tradition that you guys have maintained for all of these years. That's awesome. Yeah, we still do too. Oh, yeah. yeah. My dad raised me on a steady diet of bad bad science fiction movies like you know, things that you know, you wouldn't wouldn't refer to them as as respectable uh, and it's something that we still do together that's kind of our shared fandom mm -hmm. is if i know that i'm going to go and stay with him for a, a night or something like that he's like listen i've got some real stinkers for you these are going to be garbage just just horrible <laughs> you know and recently in the last couple of years it's all been bad shark movies um uh, you know, it's something uh, like, like the like, Sharknados and shark. the three-headed <laughs> yeah, shark yeah. from space. For, <laughs> for Christmas this year, uh, I bought all six of the Sharknado movies, and he and my younger youngest brother and I were supposed to have a all-day Christmas Eve Sharknado fest. Uh, my younger brother had to cancel. Uh, and my father managed to make it through two and a half of them before he says, no, I, can't, I cannot, I can't do this anymore. Oh, <laughs> so, wow. So they were that bad that he's like, you know, I love a bad movie, but this is just over the top bad. The The first one, I don't know if you've seen them. Uh, yes, this has been the first time. I have. Uh, the first one was so bad that we really enjoyed it. 
and the second one started to understand how bad it was, and it just basically essentially the plot revolved around just trying to get as many cameos as possible. And right. so that's bad, but it didn't... <laughs> being self-aware about how bad you are can, can sometimes work and can sometimes be a little charming, but by the third one, um, it seemed to get a little little uh, wonky. Though yeah, I'm, I'm they told just that hurt I, I now. Like, they're it. so bad now that they're painful. <laughs> I, I, still, I still have four, five, and six to watch, and I'm not going to watch them without him. So next time we get together, I'm, I'm going to essentially force him to watch them. Oh, poor dad. Uh, but <laughs> I reason I bring this up, and I, I find it uh, so neat to, to listen, because usually when we talk about fandom, most of the conversations that we have are um, talking about people who go to conventions and people that they watch. Uh, with their friends, but mm-hmm. the fandom that we have with our family is is so formative, and uh, it 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 affects the way we, I guess we're we're developed, and it's nice that e- it sounds like each and every one of us have had something that we grew up with that we can connect with our parents, and is still palpable. Which is right. I, I mean, and that's fandom too. You know, I, I think we try to put it, a lot of people now try to put it into that box of, well, if you don't go to the conventions, if you don't do this, if you don't own that, if you don't do this. I mean, there's so, it's such a multitude of things that constitute fandom. Fandom is, you know, again, hanging out with your dad and watching movies and laughing at those. That's that's a that's a version of fandom. A version of fandom is, you know, having a little get together at your house to watch the premiere of Game of Thrones. Like that's that's fandom. You don't necessarily have to do it in a specific type of way. I mean, it can be nuclear or it's just going and kind of finding your people. Um, That's what I tend to do in the different, the different things that I'm a fan of. Um, That's kind of how I am like with the walking dead. Sure. General fandom can't stand it because people are just terrible in that fandom, just period (laughs) across the board. I mean, I've, I've met people at conventions. I've been on discussion boards. I've done all of that stuff like that. It just sucked. Um, So what I basically ended up doing is I actually, fell into like a little circle of the fandom through a podcast that I started listening to. And those are pretty much the only people that I interact with, but I still consider myself to be participatory in fandom. I just don't do it on the wider scale. I just do it more on a more intimate, more nuclear level. You know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah. Well, speaking of podcasts, uh, you have a podcast called nostalgia mixtape, as we said. Mm -hmm. So what made you decide to start a podcast and why did you choose what you did? Uh, I have been thinking about starting a podcast for probably about three years. Um, And so my friend and I, we just, we were talking back and forth and we're like, you know, we want to do one. We want to do one. We want to do one. Then we back up. We get into life, time of pass and everything. And so we finally got together uh, at the beginning of last year. And I was like, okay, this is the year that we're actually going to do the thing. We're going to start it. Um, There was a Twitter thread that I saw by a guy named Ed Williams and he created this hashtag called start the thing. And he was saying, you don't have to have all the information. You don't have to have everything in line. If you just start and get yourself out there, put yourself out there, everything else will fall into place. And that really resonated with me. And so I told her about that conversation and we decided that day that we were going to start a podcast. Um, We originally were going to do a Fresh Prince podcast, like just go back and recap all the episodes and stuff. Mm -hmm. There's a um, one out there that I really like. Uh, and I can't think of the name of it right now, but it's a Saved by the Bell one that I've listened to before. And it's Go Bayside. So uh, Go Bayside is really awesome. And they went back and like basically backlogged every single episode of Saved by the Bell and just like, you know, ragged on some of it and then talked about some other themes that were in there. Um, so we were going to do that with the Fresh Prince. And then we decided, uh, well, we want to make it more general. 
and kind of have more of a wide appeal because once you get to the end of the episodes, that's it. And your podcast is over. And we wanted to be something that was long lasting and long running. Um, And I was like, well, since we're kind of thinking of something along that vein, I was like, why don't we just do something based on nostalgia? Like it's something everyone can relate to. And what I found when I was going out and kind of doing research and looking at different nostalgia based podcasts is that they were all told through pretty much the same types of lenses, um, usually white, uh, usually male. And there were no podcasts out there that were prominent that had two black women or women of color period talking about what nostalgia means to us and how we experience it through our eyes. So that was why I decided to do the nostalgia mixtape. Um, and we chose eighties, nineties and two thousands because we're nineties kids. Um, but we have a lot of that eighties influence on us, older siblings and, you know, your parents and just general interest in that decade that you were born in. Um, of course we know the nineties really well. And the two thousands were when we came of age. So we're literally, literally millennials. I turned 13 in 2000. So that was how we came of age. And those were our teenage years and leading up into our college years and everything. So I just thought it would be the perfect time frame. So that's how we got started. You enjoying it so far? Oh yeah. Love it. We're coming up on our year anniversary in June. As a matter of fact, we started on the first day of summer. And so our very first podcast episode was about everything summer related from the past. Like what you do, How'd you spend your time, you know, and all of that stuff. So we did like the nostalgia based summer episode and that kind of kicked us off really well. Just finished listening to, I listened to a, a, quite a few of the episodes. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I started off with the um, cartoons and breakfast cereal. Uh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> and after listening to, to that one, I was like, um, it was a couple of weeks ago. I think I, I, I listened to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went and decided to I just not enough time for me to wake up in the morning uh, to watch cartoons generally before I go to work. But I've been trying, and I just finished all 27 episodes of the original 1984 Dungeons & Dragons cartoon that was absolutely one of my favorites as a kid growing oh, up. Oh, awesome. It was, it was nice to um, kind of go through and, and look at it, because it's been years since I've uh, and actually never done a straight watch before. I'd, I'd mm-hmm. gotten the DVDs and watched one or two that I remember being my favorites, and it kind of sits on the shelf. But since I've started doing podcasting myself and starting to look at things with a critical eye, I haven't gone back and looked at my childhood as much, and it's something that I've, I've, I kind of want to do. It's uh, so much fun, though, to go back really? and just, like, re-experience that. And it's, you know, it's so funny now when you look at things through adult eyes. Um, there are some things that you, you know, that went over your head that you completely missed because you were a kid and you were, you know, filtering it through that lens or whatever. And, um, and then some things that you kind of wish, you know, you're like, Ooh. <laughs> maybe that, maybe that should have been there. That probably wasn't a good idea, but I do. I love it so much. I try to keep in mind though, that, you know, the time period that it came out and what humor was like and, you know, what societal norms and stuff like that were like then or whatever. So that way you're not too hard on things, you know, cause I think sometimes we tend to overanalyze some stuff in areas where you really don't need to. Is there anything that you've talked about on your podcast in the last year that, that you looked at as part of your nostalgia that didn't come across as rose tinted as you remember something you're like, Ooh, that maybe that's a bit more problematic than you, you originally remembered. (laughs) Not really. Um, We try to focus on as much positive things as we can. I think when we went back and we took a look at some, uh, black sitcoms 
Mm -hmm. Um, And neither one of us named Martin as like one of our top ones or whatever. Usually when you pull up lists and they say, oh, the best, you know, black 90s sitcoms, Martin's usually close to the top. Um, And I know a lot of people that like Martin. I've seen plenty of episodes of Martin, but just for the two of us personally, it's not our favorite. But we talked about it really briefly, like, mm, you know, (laughs) it just wouldn't fly today. Like, the, you know, the way that he treated some of the women on the show, um, some of the jokes that they made and everything like that just terrible and honest to god they really they really weren't great things to be doing and saying then but i think people just didn't call that stuff out um as openly and as directly as they do now so really that's about the only thing because we try to keep it happy we try to keep it light uh we try to sidestep around some of those things that can be a bit problematic particularly music um especially when you're looking at certain artists and everything so there are a couple of artists that we just don't even include in the conversation just because of, you know, things that they were doing then uh, that maybe we didn't quite notice it to to be a problem then. But now we're looking at it as an adult, like, ooh, that's that's really icky or stuff that they've kind of done since then or whatever. We were just like, it's probably not a good idea to look at this person through this, you know, this rosy outlook or whatever. So, yeah, we, we try to avoid most of that stuff because we want it to be fun. Um, and again, that's kind of the essence of nostalgia itself or whatever and that's why our podcast exists because we want people to be happy um and to look back on the fond memories and the good things that they you know went through and experienced well part of that positivity is is what's so appreciative uh, Mm -hmm. because i know that a lot of times in fandoms particularly fandoms that i I can be a part of uh people will really be down on certain things and then you get a no one wants to sit there and listen for 32 of 50 60 minutes about people disliking something right uh, unless you agree with what they did but even then <laughs> you know an entire podcast about why this is bad uh, isn't isn't always gonna fly right um we share the three of us share a fandom and that's one of the things that i i love being able to bring someone on because everybody that we bring onto this podcast is someone we knew through the doctor who fandom so let's talk about that because I think we can all agree that there's going to be quite a bit of positivity discussed in that. Uh, mm-hmm. When did you first start watching Doctor Who? I started watching probably about 10 years ago. So I was a bit of a latecomer once the modern era of the series came out. And I actually came to Doctor Who through a coworker of mine. So I was working at a call center, which really sucked. Uh, talk about bad jobs. <laughs> but the great thing was, is that I really love the people that I work with. So we had this group of like eight of us that would work the late shift and all the, you know, managers and team leads and stuff would be gone. And when we were on the phone talking with people, we would just be like, you know, just chatting amongst ourselves or whatever. And so we'd talk about uh, comics. We talked about uh, Trek some, you know, talk about movies, all of that stuff like that. Like all of us were kind of, fanish you know for lack of a better word type people and the guy that sat beside me had a TARDIS on his desk and I'm like what the heck is that and he was like oh man like if you like you know you like science fiction all the stuff that you like you'll totally dig Doctor Who it's actually on Netflix and so I was like okay I'll give it a shot you know he told me a little bit about it and I was like uh what because that didn't make (laughs) it what he told me didn't make any sense at all so I um got on and I started with the modern series so with season one with nine and Rose and I watched the first three episodes, um, which I think was really, it really kind of captured some of the essence of Dr. Who really well, because you had a story in the present. Um, you had the next one where they went far into the future and then you had them go back in the past. So it kind of covered those three areas and everything. And I was just hooked on it ever since then. Awesome. So do you have a favorite doctor or a favorite companion? My favorite companion is definitely Martha. Um, and I know she's not a lot of people's favorite, but I just think Martha, she was one that I really 
gravitated to that I could relate to. Um, it was amazing to see someone who looked like me in the TARDIS, um, someone who bucked certain stereotypes and things that could be uh, attributed to black women in particular. She was, you know, smart. Um, she was very capable. Uh, and I loved how she left under her own volition. Um, I think she would have, that's something that she probably would have done anyway, in my opinion or whatever, because she had a, a focus and goals and a plan and she's kind of like that center and that heart of her family. And that's kind of the role that I play among my family, my, my nuclear family or whatever, with my sister and my mom and my dad. Um, and now the center of my own family with my own children and, you know, my husband. So I love Martha. Um, as far as a favorite doctor, I really, really love 12. It's so hard for me to choose one because there are elements of all the doctors and I've seen at least one story by every doctor. And I think there's elements of all of them that I really, really love and some things that I don't like as well. But I don't know. I mean, Capaldi just kind of grabbed me and pulled me in in a way that I didn't really expect because I did not like season eight. Um, and I think part of that was just the issues that I had with Clara. Um, but once we kind of got past all of that and stuff and I really focused on who he was, I was like, wow, like this guy is just just embodies the doctor. He was just so masterful in it. And, you know, kind of like that gruff sense of humor and, you know, and everything. And I do, I love 12 so much, um, but it's really hard to choose one, but companion Martha, definitely. We had a brief conversation at, at Gallifrey one about um, the comic books. And, I, and I'm, as we're having this conversation now, I realize I still haven't sent you the, the PDF links to all the original doctor who comics. Oh, it's Have all good. You, uh, so I, I take it that you probably haven't gotten a chance to go back and look at the the adventures with Sharon yet, right? Mm-mm, not yet. No, yeah, because uh, like you, I'm I'm I got into Doctor Who via the the new series. I mean, I, I considered the '96 movie to be a part of the new series. It's, stylistically, it's basically mm-hmm. kind of the same thing. Um, but to have a, a companion of color um, for in the comic books, it didn't occur to me that that wasn't a thing until I. Uh, went back and started watching the classic series and you just didn't see anybody. Right. Yeah. What do you find to be more compelling, the actor playing the role or the stories they're acting in? Attributing the idea of one being your favorite over the others. Uh, I think a lot of it really rests on the actor playing the role Um, because you can have a story that may be essentially, you know, mediocre or may not be as appealing or as poignant or something as some other ones, or may not have that fun element or anything like that. But a great actor in that role can really take any material that they have and spin gold out of something that would have fell flat otherwise. Um, you know, I definitely think stories are important. It's great to have good stories, good story arcs, you know, and all of that stuff or whatever, but really it's the actor that kind of jumpstarts it and springs everything to life. So I would, I would definitely go with the actor. For me, he really, he really did that for me. Um, and it's not to say that the other actors didn't. I, I love, I've loved every doctor in the modern series for different reasons. Um, and I've had, you know, problems with them for different reasons. But I think it's really, it's been that string of actors that they've gotten. And even now with Jody playing it or whatever, like there's this, this type of excited, you know, messy, quirky energy that she brings to it or whatever, that even if a storyline, when you go back and you watch it, you're like, eh, you know, that story could have been better, but you just fall in love with her and with her performance in the role. Yeah, definitely her personality and all of them. Yeah, kind of kind of pulls it through. If there's not mm-hmm. a, the story's not so great. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's you know that's with a lot of things too. I mean, not not just Doctor Who, but any anything else that you're watching. I mean, it's amazing what a solid actor who really embodies that character can 
do with pretty much anything that they're put that's put before them. And speaking of Jody, uh, it looks like we're not going to have any more new who until maybe the holiday season and then again next year. So how are you filling in the time? I am doing a classic who rewatch. Um, or not really a rewatch, more of a classic who watch because I haven't seen all the episodes. Um, and I started kind of doing like a big watch and I got maybe through season three and I stopped and just had other things that took over my life. So I'm going back to where I left off at. Um, I've got Brit box and then I'm going to try to piece in some other things with like daily motion clips and everything. But that's kind of what I'm doing. I'm doing that. Um, and also listening to some big finish. Very cool. Yeah. Uh, have Have you watched any of the stories um, that have pleasantly surprised you recently? Both Big Finish or, or from the classic series? So I think the only thing that's kind of really surprised me with how good it's kind of maintaining is the River Song set. So she just came out with another volume of that or whatever, and that actually was really good. And I wasn't sure how long they would be able to really keep that going and how many different ways they would be able to spin her story, but... It has just been consistently good, like over the different volumes. It's like at volume four now, and I've been loving it so far. And it's really interesting for me because I was not a big fan of River on the show. I love Alex Kingston and I love some elements of her character and everything. But I just felt like the longer that River was there, the more her story just kind of went wayward to me in ways that I just didn't didn't really appreciate. But I found a whole new appreciation for her through the Big Finish series. Is this the one with all the masters in it? Mm hmm. Oh, okay. It's it's awesome. Oh, cool. I was looking forward to that because Eric Roberts is in it. Yes, it's awesome. It is awesome. What? And it was just kind of sitting on my sitting in my app waiting for me to listen to it for a while. I was going back and listening to, I don't know why, I listen to spare parts all the time. And I'm like, why am I listening to this over and over? And I think the, uh, what else do I listen to? The Spectrum of Lanyard Moore. Um, oh, I just listen yeah. to the same ones over and over again. And I'm like, these river stories are still sitting here, girl. Listen to these stories. Like, you bought them. <laughs> you paid for them. So I finally, you know, I was uh, doing some cleaning up and cleaning stuff out of my house or whatever. And I was like, okay, I'm going to listen to it all the way through. And I did. And, yeah, it's awesome. It's on point. Uh, did you see the the announcement about the price change happening at Big Finish? No. They announced it in the last two days. Uh, so, obviously, there's an exchange rate between mm-hmm. the U.S. and the U.K., and they are making it uh, kind of universal. So uh, for the U.S., our price is going to go up for Big Finish oh. starting April 1st. So, um, you know, we at the time of recording, we have just about a week left in March. So if you or our listeners are looking to grab some of those Big Finish stories and you have been on the fence about it, now is Better the time do it now. to do it. It's um, the download, this, this, yeah. And this is downloads, right? Yeah. So um, mm-hmm. it's it's going to be, you know, this nice thing is they'll still have the sales. I can't imagine that they wouldn't. And that's usually when I, I pick something up is they'll have a, you know, one or two day sale. And it's like, yeah, yeah I, I, I want to listen to something in the car outside of audiobooks, And I'll, I'll do that. And that's what I tell my friends, too, that want to get into Big Finish. I'm like, go for the sales. Because um, mm-hmm. a lot of times, especially those short trips and everything like that, sometimes they'll have them. They've knocked them down to like 99 cent and stuff before. And I'm like, you can get really great, you know, awesome, quick stories or whatever for really next to nothing. So get them while they're on sale. And that's usually when I buy, um, unless I just really want something and I want to pre-order it. I did the, 
Tenth uh, Doctor and Rose, which I'm so surprised that I actually bought a physical copy of that. But I did actually pre-order that and bought it. And I really enjoyed it because I didn't like them that much together. I thought she was better with Nine. Um, personal opinion, just my personal opinion there. But yeah, I actually ended up really enjoying it. It's weird how Big Finish can do that. Like they could take a character that you may have felt like eh, about on the television series and really boost up their characterization and give them these different traits and stuff that makes you appreciate them so much more. We frequently will say this on the podcast, um, and just to, to your point, the Sixth Doctor mm-hmm. uh, was a character yep. that I didn't feel it was nearly as developed on the the program. And I, I feel like Colin Baker definitely, as an actor and as a character, really got uh, the, kind of the short end of the stick uh, during his run. And right. It just he is such a delight to listen to and I find that almost without fail my favorite of the classic Doctor's stories usually fall in the um, the Sixth Doctor and the Eighth Doctor and it, it, it's very nice to see that these two actors who were not given the range that ever, their peers were given uh, can flourish on, on audio. Right, I do, I love their love so many Sixth Doctor stories I mean just, I don't know, there's this this nice energy or whatever that he has that you just didn't really get a chance to fully explore and develop on the, on the television series. So I do, I love, love the Sixth Doctor, a lot of those audios. A very interesting technical question has arisen and both Thing and Cousin Cackle seem a little vague about it. Yes. What was the name of that mean little girl who was so beastly to those three lovely bears? Goldilocks. Ah, yes, Goldilocks. Trust a blonde to bring on trouble. Well, when I get through with Miss Goldilocks, her books will be banned from coast to coast. Uh, Ty, whenever we have a guest come on the program um, that we we know through Doctor Who, we also know that Doctor Who is not the end-all and be-all of their fandom. So when we bring a guest on, we ask them to select a television show as their pick of the month that we can sit and talk about. So what have you chosen and why have you chosen it? I have chosen the Adams family. And I know that's kind of a, a bit of an offbeat choice or whatever, particularly the sixties TV show. Um, and the reason I chose it is because it's something I grew up watching. Uh, it is probably one of the few things that I watch on Hulu. I don't think I'm using Hulu, right? Because that's the only thing I really watch up there. And I just, I love that show. It, it just makes me laugh and it boosts my spirit. So anytime I'm feeling down or something like that, like it's an instant mood booster. Um, they're just hilarious and funny and quirky and pretty much everything that I kind of wish I could be sometimes. <laughs> I love it. So you started watching it um, as a kid. Mm-hmm. Did you watch it with one of your family members? Most of the time it was my grandma. My grandma's a TV person. So <laughs> I think she was just jumping around channels and I would watch it with her a lot. Um, my mom actually liked the Adams family kind of in passing though, but I really latched onto it weirdly, you know, as a kid. And again, this is kind of airing, you know, randomly on TV because of course the original run of the show, I was not born then. So I did not watch it during its original run, but yeah, I would, most time I watched it with my grandma and we would just crack up and laugh at it. (laughs) Brent, how about you? When did you first start watching it? Uh, I watched it a few times when I was a kid, but it really didn't air in syndication in these parts um, that uh, that I saw anyway. Uh, it was mm-hmm. mostly the monsters that was here, so right. I sort of grew up on that. But I was sort of familiar with all the characters, but like I said, I didn't grow up with it. Like I'd always heard of the cousin It, 
but I didn't see them until last night. <laughs> uh, yeah, and and little things like how much Gomez adores his wife and how he goes like buck wild when she starts talking French and. Uh, it's it's a cute show. I, I remember uh, Lurch. I think he was probably my favorite. Um, oh yeah, I love Lurch. Yeah. <laughs> For me, actually, like like many things in my life, um, I started reading the Adams Family comics uh, when I was a really young kid. I remember. I think I still have this just really beat up old paperback of a collection. I I want to say it's called Nightcrawlers. Oh and wow! It's a collectum of Charles Adams individual comics and I knew there was a TV show but I didn't really I didn't grow up there was a certain chunk of my childhood where I didn't have a television in the household mm-hmm. um, but there was a older Cuban couple that lived behind us and they had a TV and when my parents would uh, leave me at their house to to babysit I have this very distinct memory of like laying belly down, uh, you know, head in my hands, sitting at the TV, like really close. One of those TVs, if you get up really close to it, you can see the red, yellow, and blue kind of hexes. Oh, uh, yeah. It was like one of these massive TVs, like, you know, many times heavier than I was. But we're watching this old black and white show and really loving it. And, and I think, I think I learned to snap because of the Adam's <laughs> I wanted to be able to snap to the Adams family theme. Yeah, um, that those huge TVs. My grandma had the same thing for many years. Things massive. It's like a whole it's like the size of a wall. Yeah, and it has that smell mm-hmm. like um I don't even know what it is, but like it's like it's giving off electricity. Like you can understand when people say don't sit cl- sit so close to the the TV, you're going to, you know, you're going to mutate. Right. Uh you're going to become like cousin it. Who was, <laughs> by the way, my absolute favorite character on that show. Um when I was a high schooler and I had hair, well, you know, long blonde hair, well past my shoulders, I would flip it forward and put my glass sunglasses over my, my hair and, and uh, uh, mutter incoherently. Not as an impression of cousin it, just because I liked messing with adults. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this is a program where, uh, you know, 1964 is a long time ago. Mm-hmm. It's an American program. It only ran for two seasons. Uh, even though it had 64 episodes, I mean, a, a, a 32-episode season is... It's wild. Unheard of. So many episodes. <laughs> so amazing. <laughs> and I did not realize it was until I found it on Hulu. I didn't realize that there were that many episodes. Like, I felt like, in my mind, I'm thinking that the show went for, like, three or four seasons. And right. so then when I found out it was only two seasons, and I'm like, but there seems like there's a lot of freaking episodes. But I was not expecting 64 like, I yeah. was like, holy moly, like, this is wild. I mean, I wonder when it was originally running, how many were airing a week? I mean, were they airing like three or four? What were they doing? Or were the seasons just ridiculously long? I wish I had an answer for that. I, I actually uh, don't I think know. It was, I think it was probably like, uh, you know, Doctor Who was that way around that time. Mm-hmm. They ran, I think one of the seasons in Troughton's era was like 42 episodes or something. It was almost year round. Wow. And it was once a week. And, like, right now I'm doing a watch of uh, Gunsmoke, of all things. Mm-hmm. And so, like, back then, their episodes were, like, 39 a year. And it was, like, once a week. So Whoa. I guess they didn't really get much of a break. No, I can't imagine that they did. That has to be, like, a filming nightmare. Well, also, this is this is not a show that is 
I mean, they've got complicated sets. They've got a lot of stunts. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of pyrotechnics involved in this program. And, I mean, you think about just the amount of times someone grabs a sword and starts swinging it around a room. I mean, that's – there's got to be multiple takes. Right. didn't have anyone like, – the only time I think I remember seeing stunts um, or extras is in the Ophelia episodes, right, where you've got mm-hmm. um, you got Carolyn Jones playing two parts – and uh, you've always got someone else in there. And anytime Ophelia flips somebody, it's pr- pretty right. obvious that the person that they're flipping is it's not, not that one person. Of the, one of the main cast. <laughs> That's like so. one of my favorite parts. I'm like, oh my oh, god, she's, this is terrible. She's so, she's so good. She's so good. Um, well, tell me, why do you like this show? What what is it that drew you in? Aside from your grandparents, and I know how powerful a force a grandparent can be when it comes to liking mm-hmm. something. Um, but what, as a kid, drew you into this this show? I, I have some inkling about some ideas, just based on our conversations, mm-hmm. but I'd like to hear from you. So I think what really drew me in overall and really made me love it or whatever, again, was just the humor um, and the fact that they were, you know, kind of, for lack of a better term, creepy and kooky, you know, and different from everyone else. And, the you know, but they weren't afraid to be themselves. And especially as a kid, sometimes you are afraid to kind of stand out from the crowd and be a bit different. And I was a bit different as a kid. And it was like, oh, so there's this whole family that's completely different from the folks around them and they're okay with it. And, you know, it also made me think about, you know, hey, they're looking at other people like, well, maybe they're the weird ones, but they were never mean or, you know, cruel or anything like that to anyone else, even though they recognized that people were different and, you know, didn't necessarily live the same type of life that they le- they led or whatever. And then it was just like their oblivion, which to a kid is just hilarious because you're looking at it like, obviously, like, oh, my God, you're doing like the weirdest thing ever. And they were completely oblivious to the fact that they were creeping people out like that whole just that whole dynamic of the show or whatever, where they're doing things and they're going about things a certain way or whatever. And people are freaking out and literally running away from them. And they're just like, ah, okay, we're going to keep, we're going to go ahead and keep it going. So it's just like that nonchalance or whatever. And the fact that they were completely different from other people and they were totally okay with being themselves. Uh, you know, when you watch we were talking earlier about what it's like for nostalgia to watch something as a kid and have something mm-hmm. go completely over your head. I know that when I watched it as a kid, I liked it for the kookiness. You know, like like it says it right there in the title. Right. Um, I don't find them particularly spooky. Uh, I know that the 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 mundanes, the muggles that come to their house, find them to be odd. But like, it's not a scary show. No. It's it's bonkers. It's very it's zany. Kooky is a perfect way to describe it. It really is. But watching it now, um. My wife and I have been watching, you know, one or two episodes a night for the last couple of days. You know, you you've given us a couple of ones to talk about, and I'll, we'll get to those in a moment. But we watched those, and then we just started kind of branching out what sounded good and and what kind of caught our attention. I didn't remember how much of a family they were, uh, and I wasn't because this is in the 1960s. And you talk about family values. Family values are being touted all the time. And here you have a family that could, you know, in the hands of uh, maybe another network or another writer or another producer could have come across as being much darker than they actually were. Mm -hmm. But this family, talk about relationship goals. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, reading your article recently on sci-fi about... 
Morticia as as the, her, like as an witch icon, but also as as a mother and a wife and as an artist and a poet. Um, but it's not just her. Every member of the family they're so polite to one another. Mm-hmm. I mean, is there any time any time on that show where Thing uh, does something and they don't thank him? Like, even if it's like thank you, Thing is always a catchphrase, sure, but like they're polite to everyone. Right? They invite people into the home. They have their extended family. Mama lives with them. An uncle lives with them. The kids mm-hmm. grew up in it. Like this is not a, a thing that you see in in houses now and families now. Um, their values, their let's you know, Adam's family values, for lack of a better term, um, <laughs> reflect the time they were really the, the that our American culture was really espousing. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, this is the family you were least likely to find doing that. And I think that's the formula that really makes this show work. Right. Yeah, I do. I I love the relationships that they have with each other. Um, especially Morticia now looking at her as an adult and as someone I'm married and I have kids and stuff like that. Like she really is a great mom, an excellent mom. Um, it's like in one of the earlier episodes where Pugsley was starting to do normal things. So he wanted to like join the Boy Scouts and do all of this stuff. And they were genuinely concerned. You know, of course, it's funny to us because it's like, you know, it's the Boy Scouts, but they acted like he was going to go be an ex-murderer. And so the first thing that they do, they were like, well, I'm worried about him. And so they go in and they try to talk to him and everything. And, you know, he's responding back to him kind of normally and stuff. And they're like, no, something doesn't feel right. So they go and they get a psychologist and they just put all of this energy and effort into making sure that he's okay and that he's doing things because that's what he truly wants to do. And he's not doing stuff to try to fit in or to try to be someone who he's not, you know? And like you said too, with the family and how polite they are to each other and how patient they are with each other and Morticia and Gomez's relationship, them being in a long-term relationship and having kids and showing that you could still be madly in love with someone and have fun with someone and appreciate someone. Like he really admires Morticia and looks up to her. Um, And with her too, just having so many different qualities and skills, like she, you know, plays instruments and she, you know, whips up all these different types of concoctions and she's a great mom and, you know, she's, you know, rather, rather fashionable, I think, and everything like that. So, I mean, she's just a really cool character. Like they're a really cool family. And it's like you said, something you really don't expect because you're thinking that they're going to be scary or, you know, mean or gruff or something like that when really they're the nicest people in town and people don't always treat them well, but they always maintain who they are and maintain their integrity no matter what situation they're in. Yeah. And they're never an, um, uh, antagonistic right. to really anybody. And, it, you know, like you're saying with the, the episode with, um, I think it's, is it the Morticia and the psychiatrist? I think mm-hmm. it's really early on in the series. They don't tell Pugsley he can't be in the scouts. Right. They don't tell Pugsley he can't have that puppy. Right. They they give him, they expose him to different opportunities. But if he's going down that road, uh, I they're they're just going. We're just going to have to accept that he's different from us. Right. That's amazing. It is you amazing. <laughs> I mean, that's something that a lot of parents over the years have really struggled with. And I think, you know, especially when you're looking at like, for me, like, you know, quote unquote, old school parenting or whatever, where it's like, you know, you do what I tell you to do and you don't really ask questions and everything. Their kids are so inquisitive and they always take the time to answer their questions and to be, you know, open and honest with them. And when the kids try things and they do things, uh, they support them. 
no matter what, even if it's something that doesn't necessarily fall in line with what they would want them to do. And I mean, that's so, that's so powerful because their kids have this sense of, you know, they're really self-assured and they have this, you know, this great self-awareness and they're really being anchored by this extended family that loves them and that supports them no matter what they decide to do. And, you know, we'll also scold them if they go down the wrong path and they're doing something that's truly not their way or doesn't fall in line with their values. Mm-hmm. So the Adams Family, okay, it was September 1964 when it mm-hmm. premiered. Bewitched and The Munsters all premiered in the same week. Why do you think TV felt supernatural sitcoms were what America wanted to see? <laughs> you know, it's kind of hard to tell, um, especially, you know, not really knowing the full climate of what society was like, you know, during that time or whatever. But I think we all kind of want to see someone who can buck those societal norms mm. and be different. Um, and I think so many of the 60s moms that you had on TV were very like your June Cleaver, you know, ish type ones where they were this, you know, excellent, perfect homemaker that kind of fit in this ideal image. And they wanted to be, you know, accepted among the other moms and wives and stuff like that. And then you have these people who are completely bucking those norms that are doing what they want to do and dressing how they want to dress and just living life outside of the box that people have for folks. So I think that a lot of people probably looked at, you know, your Morticia Adams and your Lily Munster and everything like that. And were like, wow, like, you know, this is something that just feels out of the box and out of the norm. And it's the type of life that I kind of maybe secretly wish that I could step so far outside of this box or whatever, you know? Well, okay. So let's take a look at the, um, the imagery used in these shows, mm-hmm. uh, particularly the Munsters, say, versus the Adams Family. So when you got the Munsters, I feel like the Munsters um, has taken a certain horror iconography. So you've got um, Herman Munster is 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 a Frankenstein's monster, right? And Lily is a vampire. Grandpapa or Grandpa is a vampire. Mm-hmm. Eddie is a werewolf. They've got their youngest, whose name escapes me. I want to say it's Lily. Uh, no, it's not. Uh, no, I can't remember the youngest name. Yeah, uh, that's not the show we're talking about. But but, I remember <laughs> she, but she's the normal one, right? It's like so she's she's the normal one, but right. her her parents are not unusual to her, right? She still loves them like any other you know doting daughter. Um, but they definitely went with okay, we've got a werewolf check, uh, we've got a Frankenstein's monster check, uh, we've got some vampires check. Uh, you know, I think uh, one of the one of the visiting cousins or uncles is a is a creature from the Black Lagoon. So they're they're very much using the universal mm-hmm. horror trope. And you don't get that with the Adams family because At from all. a from an external perspective, they look like us. You know, and so I think that's where that you know that shock element always comes in because of course, if you see Lily Munster walking down the street, you're like, okay, something's going on over there. That's weird. But, you know, imagine going into, you know, this kind of creepy house or whatever, and they open the door and you're like, oh, okay, well, everything seems normal. And then things just go left field really quick. So I love that, even though they're, you know, Morticia's a witch or whatever and stuff like that, but she's not walking around with like a pointed hat on or anything. I mean, she looks like any other woman. Yeah, there's definitely a passing um, kind of dialogue that's happening, with the exception of, say, Lurch, right? So like... Mm -hmm. Lurch isn't a Frankenstein monster per se. He's just really tall and gaunt. Um, but none of them have superpowers or supernaturals. Like I think Grandpa and the monsters, he can turn into a bat, right? Like mm-hmm. he, he flies away. But the but the atoms are they can pass. I would love to have this. Con- I never, can't believe I've never thought of this. I would love to have this conversation of what it's like to be 
um, a young LGBTQ person watching this show and how mm-hmm. they interpret it growing up and now versus, uh, you know, the, what it, what it means to them in, in that sort of analogy. Right. Um, it's kind of fascinating because, you know, like, um, Gomez, I remember thinking like, well, who is Gomez? What is Gomez supposed to be? Well, Gomez is just Gomez, right? Right. Like, you know, uh, Grandmama, she could, you could argue that she's a witch character, right? She's a crone. Right, mm-hmm. so you, you've you've got you've got the crone, you've got the um, the wife, and you've got the uh, the the youngest daughter, right? So the daughters in the family, but it's only cousin. It's the only one who who doesn't pass, and he's always concealed. So right. you've got um, Lurch is always off screen until summoned. Uh, Thing is always hidden somewhere, and that some of the best gags uh, of this <laughs> show are the places Thing pops up, and you've got cousin It, who I don't does It show up in the first season. I feel like he's he's kind of a, a later later addition to the show, but he's always mm-hmm. up in the chimney with it to start off with. Um, so they're concealed. So the the joy of bringing uh, a muggle into the household and surprising them with the absurdity and the kookiness of it, uh, I think is is half of it. In fact, one of the producers, Nat Perrin, uh, was a producer for the Marx Brothers. Mm-hmm. So you've got this like one of the, we've talked about what it feels like um, visually. That's but interesting. The dialogue is amazing. It it's is so quick. Uh, there's so much wit. There's so much mm-hmm. sass to it. Um, so aside from the visual gags, I mean, it hits get, that sitcom vein perfectly. It does. Yeah, I mean, and the the jokes are just so well placed, well timed. The, <laughs> I mean, the poor people that they have coming in, the actors that are coming in. I mean, their genuine shock and surprise and stuff like that is believable. You know, sometimes I think some shows try too hard, and I never felt like the Adams family tries too hard. I mean, it's just like this natural wittiness that just comes out every single episode or whatever. Love this show. Love it. It's such a good program. It is. It's so good. And I'm like, I mean, I knew I liked it as a kid, but now watching it as an adult, like I really have a whole nother appreciation for it. And like you said, it's because of all those different things and you kind of looking at it through a deeper scope. As an adult, but at the same time, it still doesn't lose its core for me or whatever, which is just pure witty, good sitcom length fun, you know? Yeah. Well, the values are there. The values that we, we try to espouse are, are there. It's just, mm-hmm. you know, they're it's just packaged doing what you want to do. They just package exactly perfectly. Mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit about the movies, uh, the cartoon, and... Uh, yeah. So did you go and see the the movies when they came out in the theaters? I did. Yeah. And I actually enjoyed both of the movies, even. Um, and name is Angelica Hudson. Houston. 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 Yeah. She's great. Another great Morticia or whatever. Like, and that's, I love both of them equally and for, you know, very different reasons. I feel like she brought a different, she brought a different vibe to her. She did. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, it was definitely, definitely in a good way or whatever. So I enjoy both the both of the movies and everything. Um, the cartoon, eh, you know, <laughs> it was okay. But I, I, I don't know. I just I, I like seeing them live action mm-hmm. so much better, and you know, and being portrayed by these wonderful actors and stuff. So I did. I love both of the movies, and I, I love her as Morticia. She brought like this kind of. She gave her like a more of a darker, a bit of a grittier edge in there that you really didn't get on the show or whatever, because I mean, Morticia to have been a witch and I, I love it when she smokes. 
yeah. <laughs> when the smoke comes from up under or whatever for her to smoke and do all of these things and all the stuff like that she really didn't have she didn't have any type of real edge or whatever she was very cool very calm very collected and everything and then we get to the movies and you've got morticia like throwing knives and stuff and i'm like okay yeah. like i'm digging this i love it <laughs> well the show is very sexy mm-hmm. um I mean, you know, like I, I probably had a crush on Morticia as a as a fairly young kid, um, but just if you listen to the dialogue, there's mm-hmm. a lot going on between a that that husband and wife, like, you know, the 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 amorous approach. Yeah, you know, to, and to you didn't Gomez see that on TV life. like that. Like couples no. weren't even sleeping in the same bed, much less you know showing a husband being that openly affectionate and passionate about his wife. Mm-hmm. So I think it's yeah. really dope that in the 60s they were doing that. This guy is madly, madly in love with her and kissing up her arm. And, you know, like you said, the dialogue that completely went over my head as a kid. Like, I just I just thought they were married people that liked each other. But now I'm watching it and I'm like, this is delightful. Like yeah. all of the little quips and stuff that they're saying to each other is super dope. I think possibly because they are people different from us, it's OK to show them acting in a way that is actually really positive, right? Relationship positive, but that's the weird part of them. It's like, oh, look at them. Right. He actually it's like, what are they doing? He actually likes her. Level. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> what a weirdo. Brent, are you a fan of the movies? I did not see the movies. I remember when they came out and I saw the trailers, but um, I didn't see the movies. I do remember the cartoon. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I did see that a few times. And But I had forgotten about it. So the other day when I was watching some of these old episodes, I was like, I really think there was a cartoon about this. And, like, Gomez had a purple jacket on or something. And I went and looked it up. And I was like, oh, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> yeah. And um, we'll get to this later. But there's a there's another animated Adams Family coming later this year, too. So Yeah. Which I was not aware of until today. So uh... <laughs> Yeah, no, I heard, I heard about it. So we'll I, we'll see what happens. Um, I'm kind of yeah. interested in it, especially if you're taking in looking at it. I think it's a cool family to be able to revisit in today's times. Um, not sure about the whole animated piece or whatever. We'll we'll see how that works out or whatever. But I do think that this, if you were going to revive, reboot, remake, you know, everybody's doing all of this re-upping stuff or whatever. Mm-hmm. If you were going to re-up something, this would definitely be something cool to bring back and to kind of look at what they because we got you know what they were like in the packaged into 60s you know society and then the movies you know you're looking at like the 90s and stuff like that but it'd be interesting to see what the adams family would be like and how they would be in today's society well let's say we've got an animated film that's coming out at the end of this year Mm -hmm. um ty if you if inevitably let's say this movie takes off Mm -hmm. and they decide that they're going to make another tv show or let's face it uh a netflix series it's what 10 episodes something along those lines what would you want to see out of a modern take on the adams family um i definitely want them to address how they will react to society now especially with everyone being so tuned into technology and everything Mm -hmm. because they are very much so a family that spends time together doing activities together, very, you know, tight knit, they dance together, they do all of these things. And I just wonder how they would, I want to see what their reaction is to the world and how they feel about technology and how it's kind of absorbed a lot of our attention. And we're putting less of that attention on sometimes on that, just those family values and spending that quality time and stuff like that together. I I want to see that. Um, I would like to see Morticia out and about. 
a lot more in in society like i'd love to see what would it be like if she was volunteering at the school or if she was actually decided to go out and work and what, what would morticia be like in the working world so i think it's so many different ways you could could kind of go with that um and i don't know what to think about the kids like i don't know if i would want them to go back to being young young like they were in the original series or whatever, but I kind of would like to see them at those teenage years and to see how Gomez and Morticia would navigate them through their teenage years, which we got some of that in the movies with them being Mm -hmm. a bit older, but it'd be interesting to see how they would navigate that whole pressure of being a teen and what it means to be a teenager and to come of age in their family in today's society. I think that would really work too, because Mm -hmm. uh, um, it seems like everything about the original show about them is opposite of society even their family values were probably opposite of some of the society so right i I, that would that would definitely work today uh, probably on a on a deeper level Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah Um, and i think people would just have a an even deeper appreciation for the show and for this you know and for the family and kind of what their family means and some of the lessons that we could kind of take and learn from them i mean i'm i'm so thankful that one of the things i love about doing this show every month with brent aside from doing the show with brent is that we get to talk about tv shows some that i i'd never seen before and Mm -hmm. i get to you know enjoy it and, and and be introduced to something fantastic but another is to get a second chance or third chance to look at something that i thought i knew and liked uh, and get a great, gain a new appreciation for it. And this was one, as soon as you had said, because you originally said, I want to do um, Fresh, Prince. Know, Fresh Prince. And mm-hmm. I'm like, yes, let's do Fresh Prince. That'd be awesome. And it's not streaming anywhere. Which kills like, me. That is insane. Um, like, Adam's Family is in my top five, but uh-huh. Fresh Prince is my number one. And we were 100% behind that. Oh, yeah. Um, and super bummed that we couldn't we couldn't do this. But I think... You know, as much as I, I, I've never watched Fresh Prince, so but as much as I, I, I probably would have really enjoyed it. Just f- everyone seems to have something good to say about it. Mm-hmm. It was really enjoyable to come back and rediscover this this show, um, something that I, I might not have done otherwise. So I, I just want to thank you for, you know, coming on board and joining us, but also bringing us something really, really quite exquisite to to discuss um before we let you go mm-hmm. um are there any projects you'd like to talk about that you're working on or have recently worked on or um where can folks find you online uh no big projects in the making right now except i am slowly but surely working on a science fiction novel um mm-hmm. i'm kind of in the early cool. stages of that now whatever so uh please keep me encouraged and if you are a person that believes in prayer do that <laughs> Because it is a pro- yeah, it's a process. So that's what I'm starting this thing and doing this thing. Um, but definitely check out the podcast. Uh, my co-host Christina Henry, she's one of my best friends, um, and we actually got together and became friends through a music fandom. So oh, cool. again, that's fandom, you know, fandom in action and how you meet people and everything. So check out the Nostalgia Mixtape. Uh, we got a lot of really awesome things planned for season two. We're going to be doing some. Uh, live tweeting and we're going to be rewatching some things so we just got a lot of awesome things we got planned up over there um outside of that i am plugging along at the freelance work doing my thing there if you want to follow that process you can follow me on twitter at ty gooden i keep all of my 
updates about what I'm writing, things that I'm into and interested in will be out there on my Twitter page. Well, Ty, thank you so much for joining us this month. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad we finally got to do this. This is awesome. Absolutely. And thank you for joining us on Who and Company. Who and Company, come for the fandom. Stay for the company. Thanks for joining us at Who and Company. Special shout out to Pixel Who for providing our logo. They can be found at facebook.com slash pixel who. Who and Company can be found on iHeartRadio.com and Spotify. Or you can download the show directly from whoandcompany.libsyn.com. Contact us on Twitter at whoandcompany. Support the show on patreon.com slash whoandcompany. Or email us at whoandcompany at yahoo.com. Thanks, and see you next month.